is your heart in evangelism? That question should not trouble us. But I'm going to ask you to do something tonight that you may not have ever heard a preacher ask before. But I'm going to ask you tonight to think about really becoming a New Testament Christian instead of a church member. That sounds strange to your ear? You say that's the same thing. No, not in some people's hearts it isn't. And we're going to try to figure out what that is tonight and how that works. We need to have a group of people who are starting to mature into what God wanted them to be in the first place. Evangelists. In every church, brothers and sisters, there are three groups of people. There's an outer fringe group, a mainstream group, which makes up the majority of the members, and then there's a hardcore group, which makes up about 14% of every membership. But the Lord said that we needed to be strong in him and in the power of his might. Brothers and sisters, there's a work that needs to be done by every Christian that requires strength. It requires maturing for evangelism. If you have a Bible tonight, I want you to look with me at 2 Corinthians 13.5. In every congregation of God's people, there are numerous works being done. Whatever they are, they are all designated or constructed or built to win souls. And I'm praying that my brothers and sisters will get back to that thought in everything they do. If I'm visiting someone, I'm interested in his soul. If I'm having a vacation Bible school, I'm interested in souls. If I'm going to the hospital, I'm going because I'm interested in souls. We need to become soul-oriented, and that's how we become Christ-like. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission, Luke 19.10. But am I growing in evangelism? Am I maturing enough to become what God wants me to be? In 2 Corinthians 13.5, we have a record of a statement from the Apostle Paul that indicates to us that we should examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. For yourselves know whether Christ be in you, except you be reprobate. So everybody here knows, or is supposed to know, where he is as a New Testament Christian. What are some of those growth indicators? Well, character. What's my character like? What about my Bible knowledge? What do I know? What about the things that interest me in conversation? What do I talk about most of the time? What's my service like in God's work? What about my attendance? And I want to underline that for a moment and say that I am going to try to encourage us tonight not to measure our spirituality simply by our attendance. There's a little bit of a difference there, and we'll come to that in a moment. What about my giving? A lot of my brethren tip if they like the sermon, or they'll donate if they like the church, but giving is something else altogether. What is my giving like? If I understand the New Testament, I am to give the first fruits, not what's left over. But a lot of my brothers and sisters don't understand that, and God gets what's left over. But the first fruits means I give from my gross income, not my net income. Not what's left after taxes, but what I made before taxes. Well, if I'm growing, I'll learn how to do that. Am I a person who 
indicates or uh, hinders the work of the church or am I a person who starts the work of the church? Remember that what we're aiming for is to be a soul winner. A soul winner. He that wins the souls is wise, the Proverbs writer told us. So in every congregation, we have three groups of people. And I'm hoping there's nobody here tonight in that outer fringe group. But if you're in the mainstream group tonight, I'm going to beg you to get out of it. I'm going to show you what that is, and then I'm going to beg you to get out of it. The majority of our members, remember, are in that mainstream group. But what I want you to do tonight is to move to the hardcore. Let's look at this outer fringe group, given those growth indicators, and see what he's like. In 1 John 3, beginning in verse 12, we have an indication that there are those three groups in the scripts, in the uh, church. Let's examine this outer fringe fellow as to his character, first of all. It's uncommitted. This fellow is as likely to tell you an off-color joke as he is to say hello to you. His character is uncommitted. He's the kind of fellow that when he's out in the community, you wish you wouldn't tell anybody he was a member of the church because he hurts the church wherever he goes. His character is uncommitted. He has very limited Bible knowledge. He thinks the preacher is a pastor. I've had several people like this call me pastor over the years, but brothers and sisters, I'm not an elder. I do not deserve the title pastor. The elder is a pastor. That's biblical. But this man doesn't know that because he doesn't read his Bible. He is so uh, less than knowledgeable that he thinks that the pastor is the head of the church. His conversation is worldly. You cannot get him to talk about the church. He doesn't want to talk about the church. He doesn't want to talk about God or Christ or the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you about Alabama football. He'll tell you about hunting and fishing and a number of other things. But to try to get him to talk about the church, that's not going to happen. And there's nothing wrong with talking about Alabama football. I didn't mean that. That's all right. But if that's all you want to talk about, well, let me talk about my football team. Here's a guy that never serves the church. The reason is he only attends 10 to 20 times a year. And yet, if you go and uh, talk to him about his attendance, you'll, you'll hear something like this. Well, we've been sick a lot. We've been out of town a lot. We've had a lot of visitors. You hear a lot of excuses. I want us to look at James 5, 19 and 20 right here. And I want to indicate something to you elders and to the preacher here and to others of, of a way to reach these people. James tells us right here how to do it. This is James 5, 19 and 20. He says, if any of you do err from the truth, now watch what he says, and one convert him. This man needs a Bible study. He is not converted. Oh, he's been baptized for the remission of his sins, but he's not converted. You see, how is that possible? Peter was told on one occasion, and here was a man that had followed the Christ around for three years. He said, Peter, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed the Father, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. He's talking to Peter and says he's not converted. Here's a man that needs a Bible study. He needs to be taken back to Bible authority, difference between the Testaments, what must I do to be saved? Yes, he's already baptized, but we've got to get him back to his first love. So James says, go study with him. Visiting won't get it done. So I would suggest with this man, he's going to have to have a Bible study and be converted. His giving, he gives anywhere from a dollar to ten dollars when he comes. 
You hear about that couple that was on its way home from church and the father said, boy, that sermon was terrible this morning. And the mother said, yes, and the song leaning was just as bad. And the little boy in the back seat said, I thought it was a pretty good show for a dollar. This fellow stops the work. Why? Because we have to go after him all the time, trying to get him to come, and he is interfering with the work of the Lord. We can't go out and win souls trying to win him. And so he is not ter he is not germinal, and here's a problem. He's not even saving his own soul. He doesn't put the Lord first in his life. But here's an interesting thought: he thinks he's saved. I got a call from a lady years ago asking me if I would do her husband's funeral, and I said, "Is he a Christian?" She said, "Well, he was baptized." 25 years ago. I said, but is he a Christian? She said, well, he was baptized 25 years ago. What about this mainstream group? This makes up the majority of the members of the Churches of Christ today, according to observation and statistics. Their character, unfortunately, is situational. That is, if they're around me, they act differently from the way they do around their buddies. They have a kind of situational character. Their Bible knowledge, look at that statistic, brothers and sisters. 70% of the members of the Church of Christ cannot tell you the plan of salvation if they have to give you the book, chapter, and verse for it. And yet the Bible is replete with statements about giving diligence to know it. When Moses was instructing the ancient peoples, he told them to teach their children when they were sitting down and when they were in the way and when they were walking. Now, how did they do that? They could not go down to a local Bible store and buy a Bible. They had no scrolls. How were they going to teach their children the law of Moses? They had to memorize it. They had to know it. They had to study it. One of the reasons we're losing our young people is the parents don't know how to teach them. And so we've got a problem in a lack of Bible knowledge. Hosea complained a long time ago, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This person's conversation is also not, most of the time not centered on spiritual things. Their service is temporary when there's something that they want to do. But here's the, the odd thing. They attend four times a week. They do well in attendance. Their giving, however, is not planned. It's casual. And the Bible teaches us to plan our giving, to purpose in our hearts, to know what we're going to give to God. God is number one in my budget. That's where he is. That's the first thing. Everything else is secondary. Years ago, I read a book called The Eyes of Jehovah. It's the biography of James Alexander Harding, after whom Harding University is named. And Harding had a tremendous uh, faith in God's special providence. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And so he would never take any money with him wherever he went. He just depended on the Lord to take care of him, which happened on many occasions, I'm sure. Brother Harding's daughter was named Woodson. Woodson Harding married J.N. Armstrong, both of whom were teachers at Harding University years ago. And on one occasion, J.N. Armstrong said to Woodson, 
We don't seem to have enough money left this month to pay our bills. Her answer came directly from her father's teaching. She said, J.N., we must not be giving enough because God's not blessing us. The Bible says that when I give correctly, it will be good measure pressed down and overflowing. Will men give into my bosom? Try it. You'll like it. One Sunday at South Haven, I challenged the brethren there to reach into their wallets, take out all the cash they had and put it in the plate, and then tell me next week if they missed it. Nobody missed it. And they were all blessed. They were all blessed. These people are in and out when it comes to God's work. I have never held a meeting, and I don't expect to, where 100% of the membership attends every service. Why is that? And here's the sad part. They've never won a soul to the Lord. Here's the problem is, these folks think they're hardcore, but here's a hardcore Christian. His character is faithful. He walks with his Lord every day of his life, every moment of his life. He reads his Bible, he studies his Bible, he teaches his Bible. His conversation is about spiritual matters and he loves to talk about these things. I have on my wall in my office a description of God's word given to me by a man named Elton Hayes who lived in Beacon, Tennessee. Brother Hayes had one of the most beautiful tenor voices I ever heard. Besides that, however, he was one of the most spiritual men I've ever met. And whenever I would visit Brother Hayes, we always talked about spiritual things. Nothing else would do. He wasn't interested. The service of these people is constant. Their attendance, they attend more than 200 times a year. They're there for everything that goes on, work days. They're there for all the things that happen, vacation, Bible school. These are our teachers. These are our workers. They make up 14% of every congregation. Their giving is planned and purposeful and liberal. They are those that start works. These are the people that want something to do for the Lord. They are soul winners. No church ever survives without such people. Ask yourself a question. If everybody did what I do for the Lord, would the church survive? If you have a New Testament with you tonight, I want to invite your attention to Matthew, the 25th chapter, and the 31st verse. Matthew, the 25th chapter, is a picture, the whole chapter is, of judgment. In the first section, we are told that Christians must be prepared for his coming. He likens them to five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. But the foolish virgins are members of the church in the analogy of the parable. They're just not ready when the Lord comes. So in that parable, he's got half the church ready and half not. Then he talks about that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man traveling into a far country who called unto them unto him his servants, and departed unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five dollars, or five pieces of silver. King James has talents. That's a piece of silver. That's money that belonged to the one who owned the kingdom. He gave another two dollars and another one dollar. 
How did he decide how to do that? Each man according to his several ability. Wonderful parable because it teaches me that God doesn't give me what I can't do. But one of those fellows took that one dollar that the Lord knew he could use, could do it, could make another dollar with it, and buried it. He's a member of the church, member of the kingdom. But he missed out somehow. Well, he doesn't change horses here in the middle of the stream, brothers and sisters, when he gets to describing the actual judgment day and has the Lord dividing sheep from goats. The goats are in the church too. They're not out in the world. Don't read the parable that way or the account that way. Watch what he says. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations. Go, go teach all nations. That's what the apostles were told. And he shall separate them one from another. You see, they are in the same group. You don't have to separate the world from the church. It's already separated. But these folks had to be separated. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He sets the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison. A Christian in prison. Can happen. And you came unto me. Now watch the answer of the righteous. Lord, when did we see you hungry? Thirsty? A stranger? Naked? Sick or in prison? Now he had just told them that they did all that. How can they answer that way? Because these people were hardcore Christians. They didn't measure their spirituality by attendance and he doesn't bring that up here. They didn't measure their spirituality by how many prayers they said or how much money they gave and all that's important. They didn't even measure their spirituality. They just went out and served the community around them as if it were the most natural thing in the world because that's what they were. I heard two people talking one time. One of them said, let's go out Tuesday night and do personal work. Well, that's commendable. The problem is we should be that, not do it. Wherever we go, if you go in the gas station, have you ever thought to ask the attendant back there if he would like to have a Bible study? When you go to school, young people, have you ever thought to ask your classmate if he'd like to learn about Jesus? When you go to work, have you ever thought to ask your fellow worker? You see, wherever I go, I'm a personal worker. I see somebody that's sick or hungry or has a need, that's my business. And it should become the most natural thing in the world. So that we'll be like these people who said, we didn't think that was anything extraordinary what we were doing. Feeding the hungry and giving a drink to the thirsty and so on. We just found it natural. We were servants of our fellow man. We were hardcore Christians. And he says, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Brother Vance quoted that verse today after we were coming back from Rainbow Omega. You talk about a work doing it for the very least. That's a work. And I have an idea that those folks out there will tell you that they're blessed in doing the work. I have an idea. But let's look at this other side over here now. 
Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's harsh, isn't it? For I was in hunger, you didn't give me any food. Do you know there are some Christians who have never seen a lost soul? Evidently not, because they don't try to save it. Here's that neighbor on his way into a devil's hell. Nobody says anything to him. You never mentioned him to me. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison, you didn't visit me. Watch their answer. This is amazing. They answer exactly the same way that the righteous did. Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked? They never saw one like that in their whole lives. Do you remember when he asked the Pharisees, which one of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose the one, if he lose the one, would not leave him and go leave the ninety-nine and go find him in the wilderness? Not one of them would do that. That's why the question. Well, these people are saying, Lord, we never saw anybody hungry. We never saw a lost soul. We never saw a need. He said, go away from me. Where am I tonight? Outer fringe? Mainstream? New Testament Christian. From the time God created us, he told us that every seed reproduces after its kind. Elder, listen, you should be producing elders. Deacon, preacher, you should be producing preachers. Members, you should be producing members. Every seed reproduces after its kind. Am I a hardcore soul winner? Do you have a Bible with you tonight? Look at Matthew 18.3. Matthew 18.3. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I want to set a little child in our midst tonight to illustrate for you what a hardcore Christian is. When I first met her, she was three years old and she had a lisp. A member of the church where I was preaching brought her to services and she came up to me afterwards and she said, Peacher, Mommy in hospital, visit her. Well, my wife and I went by the next day to see her mother. Her mother was giving, had given birth to this little girl's baby sister. Two or three days after that, Dorothy and I went by the house where they lived, and Kirstie ran out of the house and said, the peacher's here, the peacher's here, and she grabbed my hand, pulled me into the house, walked me into the kitchen where her mother was, and told her mother, he's going to talk to you about God and ran out of the house. I don't even know this lady, except I've met her one time. And so I said, well, that's a good idea, don't you think? She said, well, we don't have a church. And I said, well, why don't we study together? She thought that would be a good idea. So at the first study, she had her can of beer on the table and her cigarello, and we started studying. And after a while, the beer disappeared, and so did the cigarellos. 
And Yvonne became a Christian. And I thought Kirsty would be so happy. I said, Kirsty, Mama's going to be baptized. You know what she said to me? You didn't talk to Yvette. I'm beginning to understand now that Kirsty Hudson is a pest. She thinks that everybody in the world is interested in God. And she's not going to give up on anybody in the world. And so her, I, Yvette was her 11-year-old sister. And she had an idea that Yvette needed to obey the gospel or learn about God. So I talked to Yvette and we baptized Yvette. I thought she'd be exhilarated. She said, what about Meemaw? Meemaw's study took four years, brothers and sisters. That was her great-grandmother, not her grandmother. I thought it was her grandmother when she said that to me. When Kirsty was about five or six, she had me go and meet her, her nana, her grandmother, and we were able to teach her and baptize her before we baptized the Meemaw. That study went on for four years. Meanwhile, Kirsty introduced me to two uncles and two aunts. When I'd be sitting in the front row, she'd come up behind me and say, I love you. Bob, you can preach after that. You can just about preach anything when you got a little one. Her daddy called her a pest. When she was about eight or so, I moved to another congregation. And about two years later, she called me on the phone. She said, Brother Keith. I said, yes. She said, this is Sister Kirsty." You know what she was telling me? She'd just been baptized. She was all excited. But she said, when are you going to talk to my daddy? I said, I talked to your daddy the whole time I was there. Well, come back and talk to him again. He's not baptized yet. I said, Kirsty, I don't know if that'll do any good. Yes, it will. Well, I didn't get to talk to him, but the preacher there did, and she called me one day and said, Daddy was baptized today. All excited. Kirsty loves softball. And when she played softball there in Horn Lake, Mississippi, all the other little girls wore shorts. Kirsty wore long britches. Somebody asked her one day, said, Kirsty, why do you wear long britches? She said, I'm a Christian. Nobody told her that. She just figured it out. She should dress modestly. And so she said, I'm a Christian. One Sunday at that congregation where I had been, the song leader brother got up and read a letter to the congregation. I've read that letter. It is ugly. He said he was resigning from song leading and he was leaving the church. Kirsty heard that speech. And it broke her heart. It just literally broke her heart. She told her mama, I want you to take me to Mr. Mack's bookstore. Brother McNutt had a bookstore at National Jackson in Memphis. She wanted to go there. She, her mother said, why? She said, I want to get him a tract or something. She wanted to get him back. A soul was lost. So they went to Brother Mack's bookstore Tuesday of that week, and she got a tract and wrote him a note, put the note and tract in an envelope and put his name on it. So when she saw him, she could give it to him. On Thursday of that week, as she came home from softball practice, they stopped at the Dairy Queen there in uh, Horn Lake on Goodman Road. And when Kirsty got out of the car, her softball accidentally rolled out on Goodman Road, and she didn't think, ran out to get it. The car that killed her dragged her 165 feet. Friday night at the funeral home, that little 10-year-old body lying in a casket, all bruised. The song leader came. And I watched Mama hand him that envelope. And she being dead, yet was a soul winner. When we did her funeral, I could not think of a better expression than via con Dios. Go with God, Kirsty. 
Kirsty was a hardcore disciple of Jesus Christ because she thought that everybody she met deserved the opportunity to hear about him. She was never ashamed of him in any way. Are you a hardcore Christian tonight? You see, I told you when we started, I wanted you to do some moving tonight. From where you are, but that's going to take repentance. Repentance means I have made up my mind to do what I know God told me to do. Are you ready? You have a great example in the master. You have a little child to emulate. Are you ready? Maybe you're not even a Christian tonight. Haven't repented of your past sins. Haven't ever confessed the name of Christ before witnesses. Haven't ever been immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Then I wasn't talking to you tonight. But I'm talking to my brothers and sisters. Brethren, it's time to move. In fact, it's past time. While we stand and while we sing.